welcome to episode 220 of the Amy Ayler Show. All show notes for today's show can be found at amyaylorshow.com forward slash 220. All right, ladies, what does it mean to you to be a woman? And what are the messages that you feel like you've received since the day you were born about what it means to be a woman? And what are our daughters, our nieces, the girls in your life that you love feeling about what it means to grow up as a girl and what it means to grow up as a woman. Oh my goodness, I have such an incredible guest for us today because she is an expert on this topic. She's a dear friend of mine. She's the woman that I'm co-leading the mother-daughter from self-bullying to self-love retreat in January with. It's the amazing Brie Mathers. She's spoken to 100,000 women and growing, seriously, young women worldwide with her school-based multimedia mental health and resiliency project called Love the Skin You're In. She inspires young women to find compassion with, with themselves and empathy for one another. She talks all about body positive, re- resiliency, media literacy, and mindfulness And again, we are co-leading an amazing mother-daughter, my very first mother-daughter girl grown-up workshop ever. You can check that out at selfbullyingworkshop.com. That's selfbullyingworkshop.com. Bree, thank you so much, darling one, for being here with us today. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you, Amy. I know, me too. I love having conversations with you because I always learn so much. And especially for me, it's close to my heart because as you know, my oldest daughter, Annabella is now a middle schooler. She's in sixth grade. And so it's just a topic so near and dear. And I just love learning from you because you are so amazing at the work you do. (laughs) We were just talking before we started recording about the incredible tour that you recently did up in Canada, which is where you're from. And I, you have some hilarious stories about that, but you know, I want to know like with your, I feel like you have such an incredible pulse on what's going on for our girls today, our tweens, our teens. What are you noticing out there about the messages that girls are receiving about what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a girl? Well, as we know, young women are growing up in an image centered, porn saturated, commercialized culture. And inside of this, the socialization of adolescent girls is pretty much totally dehumanizing. Um, it's, highly, it's highly racialized. It's highly genderized. They're facing the tyranny of hotness. They're being trained by the corporate entities to think less and buy more. Um, these corporate entities are trying to inspire cradle-to-grave brand loyalty. They're facing an endless, of course, stream of imagery on their Instagram feeds more often than not featuring this sense of effortless perfection. <laughs> um, and they're, they're feeling like the desire to be desired is the, where they need to find their value. And so what I find the most alarming about what our young women are learning is that they're growing up inside of this culture wherein their lovability is purportedly linked to their sexual availability or their ability to sort of manufacture the spectacle of hotness and the spectacle of sexual desirability. Now, in grade six, I wouldn't say most young women are quite there yet, although some are. Yeah. But by grade eight, these narratives have been so internalized and a lot of that is because the need for 
media literacy is really as great as the need for literacy inside of this sort of media saturation that, that they're facing. So um, we definitely have our work cut out for us. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I, I trying to create a softer world. <laughs> uh, it's just like when I hear you speak about that, it's so, it's so interesting. I just had my 45th birthday and being, birthday. thank you. Um, you know, being smack dab in middle age now and seeing what happens for women in middle age, which was a whole nother show, but you know, seeing what happens for women in middle age and as they go through menopause and then losing that quote unquote hotness, mm. it's really fascinating to think about how the allure of being perceived as sexy, being perceived as hot, being perceived as a sexual fantasy for men, how much that rules our lives so much so that we miss it than when it goes away, when we feel like we've been taken out of the playing field, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? I know. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> what do you feel like for, I know that we have a lot of moms that are listening. We also have, you know, women that are whether they're middle-aged, you know, whether maybe they're in their seventies, who knows? Like, I feel like there's a, a big age range actually for my listenership, but what do you feel like we can do to start helping our girls have a different narrative about this? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we need to bring a new narrative in and really it's the resurgence of an ancient narrative that mm -hmm. we really need. It's about recognizing that, you know, that our, our unique beauty and presence is, you know, what it's all about, you know, that we're a mother of life itself and our nature is to shine and we need to become more full of ourselves in the best possible way um, by recognizing how inherently sacred we actually are. And that means valuing and feeling our sense of presence free from the need to source our energy or attention or validation from anyone or anything outside of ourselves. And I think that, you know, that is the, that is a very difficult thing to do as women yeah. in the culture because the conditioning is so strong. I know for me personally, I have a, a very consistent Zen practice that I partake in. And for me, that's a way of, really maintaining a sense of living embodiment and being able to daily, moment by moment, breath by breath, choose that embodiment over the narrative of self-objectification that is what our culture is, is feeding us. And so, yes, I mean, we want to you know, we, we want to attain physical health and vitality, but we need to recognize that vitality stands free. Vitality is what we can reclaim when we reclaim authorship over our own destiny, right? Our beauty is unique and it doesn't need to be defined by these kind of narrow societal norms and standards. And when we can sort of live in tune with our embodiment, there's power there, right? And choosing to respect our body, choosing to dress and adorn our bodies in ways that celebrate and enhance our natural beauty, you know, rather than feeling like we, we have to be 
actively involved in creating this, you know, synthetic and sometimes cruelly unattainable image of desirable womanhood. And so kindness is a really big co-factor in that, that journey of reclamation that virtually every woman has to go on in order to make it through this cultural gauntlet. And you talk about that in your work. I mean, all your work around the inner mean girl, I think, you know, this is part of your brilliant success is that you're speaking right to the hearts of women because it's really the internalization of this narrative, which is essentially internalized misogyny. Yes. That leads to women sort of buying in to the propaganda and the lies that tell them that their voices don't matter and that they're not worthy. Amen. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I'm wondering for you, because I know you just did this incredible tour up in Canada. You also did a whole thing with sixth grade girls specifically. What are you, tell us a couple of the stories of that road trip and what you saw, what you experienced. Cause I know not only were you talking to girls, but you were also talking to boys about this. Yeah, I had so many incredible moments, you know, I feel like this work just gives back endlessly and pretty effortlessly when I'm out there on the road. So I was in Vancouver and on Vancouver Island. And one of the things I piloted was a grade six girls retreat, which was 40 11 year old girls Mm. having a conversation about media literacy, which was their favorite part of the retreat. We followed it up with all the social and emotional learning activities, like yoga, mindfulness practice, compassionate communication, assertive communicating. But they loved the media literacy piece. And for many of them, it was their first experience of really critically engaging with this cultural, you know, bombardment of imagery that they're already starting to face. And so I wouldn't say that that inner mean girl has yet really like intensified within them, but they're just on the cusp, you know, of being carried away by this cultural stream, you know, which is the stream that we've been talking about. And so it was very powerful to present counter narratives to them mm. at that kind of crucial stage developmentally when they really have an opportunity to see clearly because they haven't fully bought into this whole thing, kind of like hook, line, and sinker, right? They're not, they're not quite there yet, right? So part of the conditioning of the patriarchal ideal is to make women feel empowered by it on their own terms. And that way, every time you critique an unspoken requirement of women, like, for example, Miley Cyrus's VMA award show performance, where she's twerking and mimicking fellatio and kind of lingus and whatnot on stage, you're also forced to frown upon something that women have chosen for themselves and who wants to criticize a woman's choice. And so the message that I want to bring forward to young women is that I don't want to take away their lived experience of beautiful and sexy. I want to invite them to authenticate it for themselves. And this means bringing themes like body agency and intimate justice to the table you know, as well as representation and intersectionality, you know, by having these conversations that question, okay, they, you know, these, these pop stars on stage, they're claiming their sexuality, but on behalf of whose gaze, they're Uh. flaunting in the face of it, but they're also in the service of it. You know, do you want to be in the service of patriarchy or claim it for yourself? Where is the line? Right. And just seeing, um, (laughs) 
seeing all of these intersections is, you know, it's tricky. And, you know, I also want to speak about, you know, the ubiquity of violent porn, right? Which has, mm. it really has as much of an influence on the normalization of female objectification and of sexual violence as locker room talk or catcalling, right? And so there are relationships and there's an interplay between all of these problems, basically with pornography acting as this kind of deeply regressive sexual reinforcement of the cultural misogyny that all of these other problems exemplify. And so having these conversations, recognizing that violations that are mass produced, mass consumed, normalized, and then specifically tailored to male demand at the expense of women need to be confronted and sort of not hidden from scrutiny. And so um, that is part of what I seek to do in both my young women's talks and my young men's talk. Obviously, with the grade six girls, I wasn't talking about pornography. The, the sort of the farthest I went with them was I showed them an image of Tilan Blondeau, who's the 10-year-old girl who was featured on the cover of French Vogue magazine, um, probably, probably six years ago, wearing a plunging neckline, fully coiffed. The neckline went down to her belly button. She was wearing stiletto heels, golden cords around her ankles. And she had this kind of pouty, you know, seductive look on her face before her body had reached a woman's maturation. And so they see that image and it makes them feel uncomfortable and squirmy but they're not yet able to fully articulate why. And so at, with grade, with um, 11-year-old girls, you can get them to connect with that discomfort so that they don't fall asleep, lulled by the normalization of this imagery and the rampancy of this imagery. You can, you can when you start to have these conversations and wake them up out of the cultural trance when they're at the tender age of 11, you really have hope for them becoming the producers and the creators of these very powerful counter narratives that our world so urgently needs right now. And then with the older young women, you know, you, you're having that same conversation, but you're obviously, you're, you're taking it a lot deeper and you can bring in conversations about pornography and so on. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, Um, you were probably aware of the the research that shows that regular consumption of pornography actually leads to erectile dysfunction in young men. Really? Uh, I actually had never heard that. Wow. So, but not only that, get this, erectile dysfunction in young men has increased 1,000% in the last 12 years. Whoa. And so you know, alongside that has been the boom in the internet, the $97 billion pornography industry. And so what ends up happening is that with these young men who, of course, in the United States with the lack of sexual education, sex health education available here, they're not getting their sex ed in schools. They're often not having these conversations transparently with their parents. And so they're looking to the internet and they're deriving that education from online porn. And 90% of what they first see is violent. Mm. And, and then you have, you know, on the other side of that, I'm working with young women who, you know, it used to be that when I started doing this work, they would come to me because they hated their bodies or they, they felt their thighs were ugly or their, or their tummies were unlovable. And now 
it's they're showing me memes on the internet of women's vulvas and and saying that they're not going to have sex with a guy until they can get labiaplasty in particular maybe the barbie surgery so that oh they can, gosh. so that they can take away the ugliness of their vulva and so you know it, if if you were to really like get inside the com- these communities of high school young women what you would find is that disproportionately they're all shaving their their pubic areas and you know we didn't think about those things when we were growing up wow i it really seems clear to me that this is coming from pornography and you know one example is you know it's it's some of this is subtle and insidious like the sports illustrated swim edition from i think it was 2016 featured hannah davis on the front cover and she's kind of like pulling down her bikini bottom and she's clearly got a Brazilian wax going on there and like props to any woman who chooses that for herself. It's just that we want young women to know that, that they can choose this rather than this being something that's kind of foisted upon them. And so, um, you know, you have in a, on the cover of a magazine that is well known, that is accepted, you have this, kind of pornographic image basically and then you have like you go into Barnes and Nobles where I always tell this story during my talks I was in Barnes and Nobles and this five-year-old girl five or six-year-old girl she's standing in front of this new swim edition gazing up at Hannah Davis that's the model and she turns to her mother and she goes mommy what's she doing and of course Hannah Davis looks like she's pulling down her bikini bottom so the mom in this stroke of parenting genius says I don't know I don't know baby I think maybe she has to pee (laughs) (laughs) because what do you tell your five-year-old right you know about (laughs) right what what is being unveiled before her eyes how do you make that understandable or even digestible for for her and so i'm very concerned about the normalization of increasingly pornographic imagery i'm concerned about uh, young women saying porn is normal because they have internalized the misogyny and i'm concerned about the fact that when you venture these conversations around hypersexualization uh young women will often very quickly go to the judgment of oh that's slut shaming and so, uh-huh. and so that's why sort of what I was saying earlier, like that we need to have this frank conversation about how this ubiquity of violent porn has much of an influence on the normalization of the objectification of women's bodies and sexual violence as locker room talk or catcalling. We need to start to see that there's an interplay between all of these things. Um, and a lot of it is driven um, I believe, by the pornography industry. And then so what you do is you're marrying all these intersections of cultural forces. You're marrying pornography with the Instagram feed, with the four hours of, you know, grooming that a a young woman does to then be featured by a corporation uh, and get their endorsement fiscally. Um, you put that all together and then you look at the fact that they're spending nine hours a day digitized and it's like, wow, how do we find our way out? Yeah. One of the things I remember you once said to me as we, and we need to start wrapping up here, but one of the things that I've taken into my heart so much with both my daughters in an age appropriate way, and obviously much more with my sixth grader than my preschooler, but 
you know, whenever we're watching a movie and it's very clear that like a kiss happens or some, 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 some sort of sexual activity happens in a film or on a television show or what have you, like an innocent kiss or what have you, Mm -hmm. uh, of saying, wow, it looks like they really love and respect each other. And that's what I want for you. I hope Mm -hmm. your first kiss is something where you feel so adored and it's so clear of the way this person is feeling and you feel the same and it's mutual and you feel adored and loved and and she's like, yeah, mommy, that's that's the way that I want it to feel too. Mm. You know, and that was a tip that you gave me that I've just carried with me so much every time I see something like that. Or if we're like, we try to read books together and I'll be like, wow, it seems like, you know, this boy really loves this girl or this girl really loves this girl or whatever the case may be, you know, yeah. because I just want to keep reinforcing that that feeling of, I want you to feel respected. I want you to feel loved and adored when you choose to engage in those things. Beautiful. And, and a lot of what can help generate that as well is the, is the relationship that a young woman has with her primary male figure in her life, normally her dad. But the research shows that one of the greatest protective factors where eating disorders are concerned is the fa- actually the father-daughter relationship. And so I think that that's because the dad can, again, he can provide that, that counter voice to the dominant narrative. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really wonderful that you're having, you know, that you're, that you're doing that so proactively with your daughter. And it's like, we really just need to bring home to them that, you know, I know you and I are never going to stop fighting for, you know, girls' hearts to be set free and for them to be unburdened by these messages that they get from so many places that their sex is their worth, you know, that we want to bring home to them that your body is strong, it's capable, it's graceful, it's powerful. You know, you cannot Photoshop kindness. You know, your body has value because it houses you. You are nobody's object, full stop. And also that the only thing that can reflect who you really are is the eyes of the people you love. Mm. So I know that we could go have a conversation for years <laughs> on this topic, which is one of the reasons why we are leading our, our full day transformative day retreat called transforming self-bullying to self-love, how to stop being so hard on yourself and love the skin you're in and this is especially for middle school girls with a grown-up woman who loves them like their mom or their aunt or their grandma or their caregiver or your, you know, your favorite neighborhood girl that you have known since the day she was born that you adore. Come on down and spend a day with Bree and I talking about these important topics and really engaging in an in interactive workshop where you'll be able to hear from your daughter and your daughter will be able to hear from you and you'll be able to hear from other women and know that you're not so alone in all of this and really go deep with us. So again, that URL for that workshop is selfbullyingworkshop.com, selfbullyingworkshop.com. And Bree's website is breemathers.com. Bree is a phenomenal person. She goes to schools. Contact the administrator of your school and say, we need to have Bree Mathers come in and talk to our girls. I mean, she is just phenomenal at what she does. I can't, I'm so excited to be co-leading with her, with her, with you, Bree. So thank you so much Bree, for being here on the really, I really can't wait for what it's going to look like to combine our gifts and offer them in this capacity. Me too. Me too. So the final question I'll ask you, which is something I ask all my guests as we close here is what's the messiness and what's the magic in your life right now? 
It's so beautiful. Well, for me, the messiness is that I am coping with long-term health consequences from having had an eating disorder when I was in high school. Mm. And so that means I have to make regular time in my schedule for multiple acupuncture appointments weekly. I have to moderate the amount of activity that I do due to adrenal fatigue. And, um, and that's messy. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's, that's part of why you're doing the work you're doing in the world is so that other young women don't have to deal with that. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we find our medicine in the darkness. And, and so this was kind of my long dark night of the soul that was also presenting to me my calling. And so I also feel like the magic for me is you know, literally getting to touch thousands and thousands of young people every year with this, with this message of resiliency, with this message that, you know, perfect is boring and it's stagnant. And, you know, if there was such thing as perfect, it would be sad. And, you know, we don't have to, you know, compromise ourselves due to wanting to come across as the hottest sex goddess in town and shush our yearning hearts and offer ourselves up to unworthy recipients, you know, that we, we have another choice that we can make. We can recognize that our life is this moment, you know, it is the mystery beating wildly in our own hearts. We're not separate from this moment. And if we learn to move from this moment in a mindfully embodied place, then we can set ourselves free from the cultural shackles and we can tell new stories about our own lives and create new narratives for the young women that will come after us to step into. And so the magic is about being able to inspire authorship over, over their destiny. Mm. Thank you so much, Bree. And thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Amy Ayler Show. We would love to have you join us in January for our mother-daughter retreat. Again, that URL is selfbullyingworkshop.com. And if you liked what you've heard, please share the show with other moms and aunties and women that you know that really are committed to helping girls form that new narrative in their brain that's filled with self-compassion and kindness that shines inward and outward. And with that, we're sending you off with so much love. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.